Welcome back to the Society Case Files podcast. My name is Robert and I'll be your host. Today I wanted to take on the topic of inspiration, not just the sense of what it means, but also the sorts of things that have inspired me over the years and that I continually go back to in order to grab up some of that feeling that just helps me push through on many projects or even find a new avenue to attack something or even just to rejuvenate my thrill of entertainment in general. Um, I've talked about inspiration in the past briefly. Uh, I did a writing seminar over Twitch that really got into when it strikes and how to take advantage of it. And it really can happen anywhere. It doesn't have to just be a piece of music or a movie or a book or whatever. It could be just uh, an image that you see, a uh, magazine cover, the color of someone's shirt, um, the way that the clouds are in the sky might strike a chord and, and give you something to think about that leads to an idea to make something. And for me, uh, there are just so many avenues of inspiration. And oftentimes, uh, as a musician in particular, you're asked, well, what what's your inspiration? What drove you to become a musician? And how do you find your ideas? And oftentimes, what we do as musicians is we cite the people that uh, just did great work. And their music really made us go, I want to be able to do that. And then we aspired to learn or just get better and practice and that sort of thing. So way back in the day when I was professionally doing music and, and I would get that question, I'd have to think about the different kinds of bands that led me to that point. The difficult part is that there are just so many inspirations, so many different musicians and sounds and whatever else, all of them inspired us in some way. So you kind of curate your answer just for your audience and also to pare it down because nobody really wants you to just list 500 projects that led you to that point. You know, you think of the top five that might be of interest or at least uh, help forward the conversation. So, um, and that's the way it is with my inspiration list that I wrote today. I mean, it's by far not complete. It's just things that I came up with quickly that I could talk about and express my feelings about them that lead to them being inspirations. And part of this podcast comes from the sense that we're often seeking inspiration. In other words, there's those moments where we're working on something and we're like, I'm not inspired to do this at all. The key here and the whole point of what I'm going to be talking about today is finding some pillars that you can always go back to in order to rekindle your inspiration uh, in, the, in the term that we're using when we talk about not having any and maybe learning how to seek it in new things as well. Artists in particular should always be on the, on the lookout for something new and exciting to push themselves, to learn more about, to challenge their, their notions. You know, stagnating is, is difficult. Uh, in a previous podcast, I discussed the concept of finding things that are new to you, but they may not necessarily be new. 
for example, there was a whole lot of music in the 70s that I did not listen to. So if I find some project out of that period that I had never heard before, it's new to me and it might be very inspiring. And incorporating some of that, I hate to use the term vintage, but some of that stuff in your work can be interesting. And, you know, mixing a little bit of the modern with it would be a lot of fun. And so inspiration doesn't always have to be brand new. It doesn't have to be cutting edge. It doesn't even have to be the freshest of the fresh thing that you're looking at. All it has to be is something that kindles excitement in you. That's really what inspiration is. It's that excitement and the drive to make something. One way or another, you experience something that either makes you want to replicate the emotion you had or something like it. So you watch some kind of cop show and you think, you know, I really want to write a mystery. I have a great idea for a mystery. My character would be really cool, so I'm going to do it. So it can be similar. It can be, wow, that was really cool and has nothing to do with my idea, but I'm really excited to get on with it. You Maybe you watched a cop show and your science fiction space opera takes off. It doesn't matter what the catalyst is as long as you feel that forward motion, that you get that sense of, I really want to get in and work on something. And that will help you with all sorts of things. Like I talked about before um, in my writer's block podcast, this is the sort of thing that can help you overcome it. It's not necessarily as simple as discipline. It sometimes does come down to needing that spark to be pushed to the next level. And so whether you watch a lot of movies, play video games, read books, comics, go out in nature, whatever the case may be, those things can all lead to the inspiration you need to constantly be moving forward with whatever it is you're doing. I want to start with some movies and just sort of talk about the sensation I had uh, the very first time I watched them and what I get in subsequent viewings. And notice that one of the things that drives us to experience new things is when we see something that we really love for the first time, there's just this overwhelming sense of awe. And it may not necessarily be in the craftsmanship of what we're watching, but it's the emotions we got while experiencing it. And so we're constantly on the lookout for that fresh new sense of wonder that we get from some form of entertainment or some artistic endeavor or whatever it is that that drives us. And for me, one of the big ones was Inception. When I saw Inception in the theater, it blew me away. I loved everybody in it. I was really excited about Chris Nolan doing that movie. It was fairly original, although, of course, you could watch Dreamscape and see where a lot of inspiration came from. Ah, inspiration. (laughs) Anyway... I just remember the first time sitting there in an IMAX theater and just being blown away by it. I had a great time and I immediately wanted to see it again because I felt like there were tons of nuances that I could grab on a on a subsequent viewing. And since then, I don't know how many times I've watched it. I put it on in the background. The music is great. The dialogue is fun. Everything about it keeps me engaged and it does help me think of new ideas. It reminds me that creativity is not dead in any sense of the word and that you can do something unique and still make 
a successful product. Um, oftentimes, people complain about that, but it's true that we still do have people making things that aren't big franchises. They do have a start and a finish, and then you won't see a sequel to Inception. Well, maybe in 30, 40 years we will, but at least it won't happen anytime soon. So when I come at Inception now, sometimes I don't watch the whole thing. Occasionally, I just want to see scenes. I want to watch the opening scene of when they actually start to do the real job, when they all hop into the city just before the crazy train. Uh, They're going to basically kidnap Robert and move on from there. I'll watch that whole intro scene to just that part. Or I'll jump to the scene towards the end where it's really coming down to the wire and they're in basically the void. Uh, I just, I want to experience these moments of wonder that you see. And I can get that out of those still. I remember exactly how I felt the first time I saw it. And it drums up all those memories. And I'm able to find inspiration in that. I'm able to move on with whatever it is I'm working on. And I rarely experience true writer's block, but occasionally I'll get melancholy enough to where I'll need to get excited about something again. And Inception is a great go-to for me for that because of all of the people in it and what they've done. It's just a very solid entry into my list of, of things to check out. If you haven't seen Inception, it's kind of a must see pretty much along with all the rest of his movies. Small segue, I was doing a viewing of all of the Christopher Nolan movies from Memento on, and that was very exciting to watch the evolution of somebody who basically is a master at their craft. It was a really cool exploration of art, and giving yourself these challenges or going out to experience a cavalcade of entertainment that is related in some way can also give you some good inspiration. It can show you how someone is able to consistently deliver a product that is entertaining and good. Uh, We did the entire Marvel series of movies up to Endgame, actually, and uh, we watched Homecoming right after. And that was amazing, too, because that's a huge cinematic achievement to have made so many movies and to have culminated in this massive and awesome ending that, that I feel landed. So those kinds of things can also offer some really intense inspiration because you're like, wow, if they can do that, I want to aspire to that level. I want to experience my own version of that. Another movie that I really loved that I have watched way too many times is actually a really low budget and kind of cheesy film, really. Um, It's a vampire movie called Nadja. came out in the 90s. Um, David Lynch produced it and it's just super fun. It's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of melodrama. There's some ridiculous stuff going on. Some people suggest that it is a remake of Dracula's daughter. Um, I, I, I could kind of see that, but Nadja has always really inspired me because I mean, look at my comic malevolence. It's, it's melodrama at its finest and it's a vampire soap opera. And that's pretty much what Nadja is as well. Um, It's kind of hard to find. I've got the DVD of it. Can't really buy it digitally, but somebody had it on YouTube for a while. I was able to watch that too. Uh, Throw it on there for, you know, 
half an hour or whatever while I was doing other things. I've seen it enough to where I don't even need to really watch to know what's going on. But if you like intensely ridiculous vampire drama with all of the philosophy nonsense that you might get out of, say, Only Lovers Left Alive, only translated back to the 90s, then you might like Nadja quite a bit. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's not particularly gross, but it does have some, some interesting elements that uh, are, worth, are worth checking out. Uh, interesting fact, one of the main characters in Nadja is also in a Christopher Nolan movie, Inception. He plays the detective that Al Pacino shoots. So just a funny connection there. So... Um, Another thing that I have always found very inspiring, and not just in one format in this case, is Dune. I love the book Dune. I've probably read the first book more than any other book. I don't often read books more than once or twice. That one I've probably read a good 15, 20 times, maybe more. I don't know. I've read sections of it many, many, many times. And it's always kept me engaged. I love the sense of adventure that he put into it. I like the messages that he talks about. And I particularly like Dune Messiah. That's actually my favorite of the Dune series is the sequel to Dune. And when you combine those two, I really feel like you have an excellent example of of good storytelling that is just super fun. The movies are a lot of fun, too. I enjoy the David Lynch version for what it is. I don't really think that they needed to add a bunch of stuff, like the weirdy modules were completely unnecessary. I also didn't really care for how disgusting he decided to make it. That was pretty unnecessary. But I I enjoy it a lot, especially since it came out when I was a kid, and I saw it so many times then and many, many times later. So probably just seen it more than any other version, of course. Uh, that's easy to do when it had been out for so much longer than those. The miniseries, both of them, both Dune and Children of Dune, were awesome fun, and I will occasionally go back to those. I like all the people in it, but more than that, I am I appreciate how they made it more like a play. The sets aren't fantastic, so they realized the constraints of their budget, and they changed direction so that it looked more like a stage production. And I think that was really smart and it really helped to give us a sense of something different than the movie, which was pretty grandiose at the time. Um, It doesn't have sweeping vistas. It's not all about visual effects. It's about people portraying the characters in a very dramatic manner. Uh, They don't necessarily have the subtlety of a movie, but they're still really fun. And uh, James McAvee's in the sequel in the Children of Dune, which is a lot of fun, too. So those really do capture my imagination just because they are something that I've experienced my entire life. I first was introduced when I was very small by my dad and progressed up through my teenage years, read it for the first time myself when I was probably 16, came back to it when I was 18 to really make sure I understood it and then my lifelong affair with Dune began. The most recent movie is absolutely stunning. It's beautiful. And I think that it might've done better because it didn't try to explain every single concept in the movie. I would argue that it didn't explain enough, but then again, since it did well and it was critically well received, I'm 
obviously wrong. It isn't my favorite version for a lot of reasons, but it is still very competent. And it's fun to see that Dune can remain relevant. It also proves that inspiration from something can last decades and just continue to inspire new people to try and revisit that and make a better version or maybe not necessarily better, but uh, different in a creative way that, that attracts new viewers or new fans. And I definitely think that's what the new movie did. So anyway, Dune is, is just such a great place to start when you want to do something fantastic with your work. If you want to go down a rabbit hole of world building and all that great stuff, Dune is definitely a good place to start. I'm going to take a step back from the grandiose for a moment because two of my entries so far have been pretty epic. Inception and Dune are both these incredible feats of storytelling. And they have to create an elaborate stage in order for you to become invested. They have to sell you quite a bit of stuff. So the next couple of entries that I have don't really need to do that because they're based on the real world and you know most of what's going on in those. Uh, the first of the entries that I want to talk about is Glengarry Glen Ross. Now, this is a play, first and foremost, but uh, the film has some fantastic actors, and it's all about the dialogue. It's just snappy, and these people that you're watching do it are absolute masters at throwing the banter around and really selling it. Uh, you can argue that the story has some inherent pitfalls, but... Ultimately, this is just a great character drama. And I often go to it when I really want to remind myself about fast, crisp dialogue that keeps you on the edge of your seat. You want to hear what they have to say next, and you want to see how they say it. And you want to see how horrible they'll be. I think a lot of plays get away with inviting you into the worlds of horrible people and just enthralling you with them. Glengarry Glen Ross is definitely one of those that I suggest to anybody who hasn't seen it. I've seen it as a play. I've watched the movie dozens of times and it's just super fun. Um, I'm always inspired by it because it just embodies the sense of people selling a story through words and their mannerisms and, and all that stuff. It's not special effects. It's not driving soundtrack it really does come down to the performances of the people. And I really love that grassroots sense of uh, storytelling. So if that's the kind of thing that you're working on in particular, this is an absolute must and you should definitely check it out. The next entry I want to talk about is also a play. It's the house of yes. I don't want to go too deep into this one. I've read the play. I've watched the play online and then the movie is just fabulous. And that's another one that is just really awesome because it, in a lot of ways, it could be construed as a horror film. It's just a creepy drama. It's sad. It's brutal. And it's got enough nuance that you can come back to it and catch new things each time. Um, it's definitely something that is an acquired taste. It's also very much of its time. But I really enjoy that one. So if you love plays, then my last two options, Glengarry and House of Yes, are definitely something you should uh, check out. 
Another movie that I really loved is Michael Clayton with George Clooney. It's a sort of semi-legal drama thriller. And I've always really loved that one because, again, you get another group of awesome characters selling a story. Um, It's just, it's got all of the ingredients of some of the things I've already talked about, again, without all of the flashy effects and all of the intense sort of filler that that is there to overwhelm your senses in this production you've got the people selling a story that's very much rooted in a in a real world situation so i really dig on legal dramas and uh, cop shows and mysteries now i've been watching a whole heck of a lot of them many foreign uh, Michael Clayton is uh, one of the ones that helped push me into that realm. Uh, not that I wasn't always into it. My parents inundated me with things like Perry Mason, and I watched plenty of Law and Order in my day. But I'm really more interested in the ones that aren't quite as formulaic. I don't think of Michael Clayton as particularly predictable. Um, it might be if you have watched more of these movies than I have. I'm not sure, but some of the performances are just so awesome and inspired that it's absolutely something that if you like dialogue driven stories and that sort of thing, then Michael Clayton is definitely for you. And speaking of foreign detective shows, Broadchurch really, I just, I don't even necessarily know what to say about it. Other than the fact that I binged all three seasons in short order I absolutely loved it. I've gone back and watched season one plenty of times. I've also watched Grace Point just to get the alternative uh, view from the American side, I guess. Um, Which is something else I want to talk about in just a moment. But Broadchurch really inspired me just because it explored a new avenue for me of the crime drama. It was not just the detectives. It wasn't the killer as well. It was the whole town and how much this death impacted everyone. And that was pretty cool. I hadn't really seen anything like that since the killing. And even the killing was a little bit more specific, but it was a lot of fun to watch Broadchurch very quickly and just see how they sold it. And they did a great job. Uh, Grace Point was also very good. It was a little different, but it, it it was close enough to where I would almost say that unless you want to do what I'm about to say, there's not much point in watching Grace Point. If your view time is limited, just watch Broadchurch and let Grace Point go. But if you enjoy doing the compare and contrast, then absolutely watch both. It's, it's worth it. And that leads me to what I kind of wanted to touch on is when you have the opportunity to compare, say, either a remake or a parallel story or whatever you want to call them, it's often really good to do so, especially if you can do it quickly, as in maybe in two nights or even in the same night. Watch the original Psycho and then the Vince Vaughn Psycho and see what kind of differences they did put together. Uh, The more modern Psycho was probably completely unnecessary, but I still find it fun to see how that person was inspired by the original to do a scene for scene camera shot for camera shot remake. It's very interesting. I just, again, maybe it's not necessary, but as a collector of, of creative tools, it's, it's fun to watch. How did he do it? Where did he go? What sorts of 
things did he have to change to make it work in the modern day when he made the product? Same with Broadchurch. When you're watching Broadchurch versus uh, Grace Point, there's just some small differences. For example, the police are obviously carrying guns in Grace Point. They do not in Broadchurch. Uh, some of the family members react a little differently, um, culturally uh, correct, if you want to use that term. But, uh, you know, when you're watching them, and I did watch them back to back, I'd watch one episode and then move to the other one. You can you can get a good sense of how the creators had to put those together. Now, with Broadchurch, it's not entirely fair because the same people worked on both. But you could do Being Human, the UK version versus the US version. And that is quite a bit different. Um, I watched that back to back and the, um, the first episode of the US version is pretty close. There's quite a few things that are the same, but the characters are actually a lot different and they act a lot different. So, um, these are the kinds of things that can also kick you out of a, of a rut if you're stuck with some sort of writer's block is the sense of being able to just go and study things like what I'm talking about. If you don't want to binge an entire series or watch a whole bunch of movies that are somehow linked, uh, comparing some remakes or some things that are based on one another can, can definitely help you out. Now we talked a lot about movies and a little bit about books so far. But I want to talk about some other things that are inspiring. In particular, video games can be very inspiring. The Mass Effect series has pushed my science fiction writing pretty well. Uh, the video game The Secret World has such an awesome atmosphere that every time I think about it, I just get really excited about writing urban fantasy. Star Wars The Old Republic had some of my favorite storytelling that was interactive because... The first chapter is just huge and you get so many options and so much can be different based on your choices. It was really, really awesome. And watching it just, it's awe-inspiring that they pulled it off and made it so fun. I mean, I've played every single character at least twice to get two separate endings uh, for my character. So uh, that's saying a lot to have snagged that much of my time. They did a great job. But it also comes down to places and smells and things that you see. A great example is that our state fair has been an institution for me since I can't even remember. My parents were taking me there as a very small person, and I've pretty much gone every year until COVID hit. But just going there, just even pulling up to it, when you're driving down the road, there's this excitement and thrill. And... You know, we can think of that as just we're pumped up to do whatever it is we're about to do, whether you're going to a theme park or your favorite, I don't know, golf course, anything. It might just be that you're thinking, well, I'm just really excited to get to do that. But in a lot of ways, there there's inspiration to be had there. And as you're walking through the gates of whatever you're going. In my case, the state fair, I finally get there and we've paid and we're walking in and you just hear all the sounds and you smell the food and you see the familiar buildings spread out across the, the lot. And you just think about all of the memories you've had there and it stirs things up. So now you've got these ideas hopping around in your head. And if you're trying to write a book, these can help you get over writer's block because you think, hey, wait a minute. 
you know, what if my character did X, Y, and Z? It may not have anything to do with the theme park you're at, but it could be that that spark of excitement helped you get past that point just by giving you a great idea. Maybe you overhear two people talking and you just catch a snippet of their conversation, just enough to steal two lines of their dialogue for your book. And you're like, that's it. That's the kind of conversation my characters need to have in order to forward my plot and help me get past chapter three. But for me, when I go to the to the state fair, it's just so much fun to be there. I don't even have to necessarily do anything. I just walk around and experience it and just feel that nostalgia. And nostalgia is a very powerful, inspiring sensation. It can sometimes be uh, dangerous. It can backfire because you can get melancholy from nostalgia. You can be like, I miss whatever. A great example is that when I had a previous job, a whole bunch of the people there played Call of Duty. And every basically Tuesday, we would all get together and seven of us would just hop online and chat and play Call of Duty for a couple hours. And it was a lot of fun. Well, those days are long gone. And it's just it's kind of sad. So that nostalgia brings with it some, some longing. I miss it. And sometimes that doesn't necessarily help us create, but if you can turn it around, if you can turn any emotion around and put it into your work, then you'll find it there. You know, how many times have we read a book or watched a movie or experienced a play and just been utterly destroyed by it, moved to tears it's because people are putting their emotions into it. The kinds of stuff I'm talking about, longing, misery, excitement, happiness. You'll experience those things by going out and doing stuff. And that's your inspiration. You are now able to channel that into your work. For me also, the Point Defiance Park, it's a state park here in Washington. And I've been going there since I was tiny. And there's just an atmosphere there. It is it does change quite often. There's a zoo there. There's all kinds of great stuff. You can't even drive through what used to be called the five mile drive. It's too dangerous now. So it's for foot traffic and bikes only. But beyond those small things, this place has not changed significantly in the 40 years that I've been going there. It's utterly stunning and it just feels antiquated and amazing and these trees are so old and so awesome and then there's the Fort Nisqually there and they hold historical reenactments I've gone there during the holidays for a candlelight tour and while you're in that you just are your mind is going crazy and if you know how to channel that if you know how to grab those feelings and put them into solid ideas to use later then really no experience is wasted. Now, I'm not saying that when we go out and do things to have experiences, whether it's travel or whatever, that they're wasted. But as creatives, it's important to analyze those quickly and and think about, well, is this something that I can use? Because it's so much fun for me. How can I bring this out in whatever I'm doing and share that with other people? I just, I have a great time when I go there. I've um, taken people there many, many, many times. Um, it was one of the first places that my wife and I went on a date. It's so much nostalgia and history for me. I really love it. 
Um, another just sort of generalization, totally cheesy movies from the eighties. And I'm not even talking about the mainstream ones with like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Van Damme and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking just total fringe silliness that you might've caught late night on HBO or Cinemax. It probably had more sex than it needed to. And it was just stupid, but those things just have this sense of nostalgia again for me. And I think back to like late summers where here in Washington, it doesn't get dark until almost 10 30 PM. And you know, you got all the windows open and, and it's still too warm and, and you're watching this ridiculous thing that takes place in Hawaii or whatever. And, and they were just fun. They just, this remind me of, of, carefree times uh horror movies from the same era do the same thing i just i think back to going over to a friend's house and spending the night for you know two nights in a row and playing role-playing games until three or four and six in the morning or whatever just total craziness and it's not that you can't do that now but it was so different when you were in high school because there were so few responsibilities comparatively. But uh, you see, that's what inspiration is all about. It's just finding interesting aspects of everything you've done. Um, Obviously, the events that stick out are going to provide a greater sense of inspiration because they're easier to analyze. But you can take inspiration in the mundane, in in the very small moments in the day. Today, my kitten was sitting in the window, losing his mind over a rabbit. Just, he's twitching, he's doing his chirp, he's got his paws on the windowsill, his tail's going crazy. And I sit down and I pet him and he chirps and meows at me and looks back at the rabbit and the rabbit runs off. And it's just this little moment. It's a microcosm of time that might have otherwise been lost, but I just, I found it inspiring, especially since I do a series about cats, the cat who did whatever. Uh, The very first one is the cat who pawed the cultist. And so when I'm hanging out with my cat and he does something crazy, it's just something I file away for my kitties to do later in, in a book. Or you're staring outside and you just see this massive bird fly by. I mean, it can be that simple. It doesn't have to be a great event. It doesn't have to be you went to Disneyland. It doesn't have to be a fight at the airport that you witnessed. It can be anything. Now, of course, when we're talking to someone about our inspirations, when they say, what inspired you to write that book? What inspired you to make that movie? What inspired you to write that song? You don't necessarily want to go off on a tangent of all of the esoteric things that that brought you there unless you're speaking to someone who is seriously artsy or something, I guess, you know, we tend to want to curate it in a way that, that helps the conversation continue and not necessarily make them go, well, you're, you're kind of weird. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with, with explaining it any way you want. And sometimes talking about it when it comes to the everyday is, is cool too. But oftentimes we want to have a conversation about the work that inspires us. So when someone says, what inspires you, they're generally fishing for your favorite whatever is like what you're working on. So if it's music, they want to hear your favorite bands. They want to hear the the people that that 
brought you to the next level, that kind of thing. Um, I tend to save the kind of stuff I've talked about in this podcast for interviews or when I'm talking to someone who is really looking to deep dive inspiration, to understand it themselves, to try and find that inspiration uh, in order to progress their own work when they're like, you know what, I've watched all these movies and I've read all these books and I've studied and I'm just, I'm still not there. That's when I want to start talking about inspiration beyond the obvious. Um, just in general, casual conversation, it rarely comes up. But when I'm helping others, especially uh, when I get a job where someone is like, um, I'm working on this project and I'd love for you to give me some advice on what to do next. Well, I tend to sit them down and, and really deep dive what I'm talking about today. These are the kinds of things that help people get past their own hangups and move on with a project. It's something that is hard to think about unless you've had a lot of time to analyze how you work and what allows you to get to the next step. For me, I've had to make that next step so many times and I haven't had the opportunity to really falter in the last few years because I do constantly have deadlines. And so I have to constantly come up with new ways to help myself move to the next level, to constantly be pushing forward with the kinds of things I'm doing. It helps to have multiple projects. It helps to consume lots of different kinds of media. It helps to be able to uh, multitask in particular. And when I say multitask, I don't necessarily mean create two different things. I mean, work on one thing and consume another. Have music on while working on art. Have a movie on while you're doing some research, that kind of thing. Whatever you can do to inundate yourself with experiences in a way that doesn't make you go crazy. Uh, that's, that's generally going to help you get through whatever it is you're finding troublesome. In particular, if you can't finish work, if you can't get to the next stage because you're distracted all the time, or maybe you're just too busy, prioritizing can really come down to deciding how you're going to consume media. So maybe you don't watch any shows or do any kind of consuming between Tuesday and Thursday. And those three days you work on your projects. And then maybe on the weekend you can watch and catch up on shows or whatever. Or maybe if you can't multitask, then you divide up your day and make sure that you're doing some project work and some consuming. Whatever it is you want to do to break that up, you got to find a way to make it work for you so that in the end you are progressing because what can happen is we'll play a video game for six hours and not work on our projects at all. And then at the end of that six hours, now we're feeling guilty because we didn't work and we feel guilty because we spent six hours on something that might feel like a waste of time. And that's dangerous. If you can't multitask, then you can't feel bad. You've got to unwind. You've got to be able to uh, accept that you'll need to relax once in a while. And sometimes that means playing a game for a whole long time or watching an entire TV series or going for a long walk, whatever it is, you can't feel guilty. It's going to happen. What you can do is prioritize your time for the next moment that you sit down to do your work. 
That is how you progress. Think about what you did before. Decide if that was the right course of action. Determine if you need to make any changes. And then affect the next stage of whatever you're doing. And always think about your inspiration. Always go back to the things that make you excited. If those things continue to excite you, revisit them. Use that experience and that thrill to get over the humps that prevent you from completing whatever it is you want to do. Then inspire others by your own example that you've been able to take these things and complete work and make interesting things. That's pretty much all we're doing here. And in the end of the day, if you can do what I've talked about throughout this podcast, then as a creative, you're going to be succeeding. And uh, I think that's pretty amazing. Anyway, thank you very much for listening today. I appreciate you stopping by. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, please visit the website at www.societycasefiles.com. And if you want to contribute to the project, then please visit www.ko-fi.com slash societycasefiles. Thanks again. Look forward to seeing you next time. Have a good one.